Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Every couple of weeks or so, I'll get an email from someone who said that this listening to this show has allowed them to recognize that they are not alone in their experiences or, you know, some people have told me it's allowed them to share with someone they love exactly what they've been through or, um, I don't know, it's allowed them to start to heal from trauma. Those were the caring words of Sarah Steele. Sarah is the creator and host of the legendary Let's Talk About Sex podcast. She's also marketing manager at ScreenWrites and has been a freelance journalist in film and video projects since 2005. So why should we talk about sex? Well, according to a 2000 federal government submission, Dr. Max Wallace estimates that 2 to 3% of the Australian population, or about 500,000 people, are involved in cults in one way or another. This includes parents, friends, loved ones, and associates of people in cults. In short, cults ruin lives and cause a great deal of harm to families and communities. Also, as I learned from Sarah and her podcast, that it isn't a typical or specific type of person that ends up in a cult. It can really be anyone. So needless to say, I'm a big fan of Sarah's Let's Talk About Sex or LTAS podcast, and not just because of its witty nomenclature. I find it to be one of the best produced, ethereal, and well-researched podcasts I've had the pleasure of listening to. Sarah tells the stories of some of the most damaging cults in existence, both in Australia and globally. Her work enables survivors to share their stories, warn others about how people can end up being recruited into cults, and provide a community for connecting and healing, with the podcast playing a key role as a platform for connection. For those of you who don't know, Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered and advertising-free, with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of the monthly costs of production. So a quick shout-out and thank you to our Patreon community of supporters, including Clyde, Susie, Carmen, Misha, Jules, Levi, Sue, Tanvir, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will. This amazing group helps me to shape the direction of the podcast through their advice, ideas, guest referrals, and ongoing feedback. Become a Patreon supporter today for the price of a single coffee per month at about $4 and show that you love our work and want to see it continue. On sign up, I'll send you an awesome exclusive Humans of Purpose tote bag valued at $25 and you'll help shape the direction of the podcast moving forward. To support us, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. This podcast was recorded last week over Zoom and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sarah as much as I did. So I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Sarah Steele today via Zoom. Sarah is the host and creator of the Let's Talk About Sects podcast. Welcome to the show. Well done. Good pronunciation on that one. My composer still can't get it. (laughs) Do you hear the very harsh intonation on the end CTS part there? Very necessary, I would have thought. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one for people. I actually weirdly ended up on the Today Show and um, the guy on there just couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love the pun. I mean, my wife and I are big into um, understanding, researching and sort of exploring a lot of the things that come with cults, cult history, um, contemporary cults, um, the, the mind control elements, a whole range of things about them that are just, for some reason, very interesting. And I found your podcast and it's one of my favourite podcasts. Um, the production quality is supreme. 
dream. Uh, and it's just, you know, for me, as somebody who has no audio training, open up a world of trying to imagine um, how to create beautiful soundscapes and interviews and journalistic craft. But rather than um, explain your show to the audience, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your journey into um, how you got going with the show and what it's become today. Well, I mean, it's it's actually really similar to you. Just I really started out of uh, general fascination and interest in the subject. And um, so my background, I studied filmmaking and, I, you know, I've made a few short films on the fiction side of things, but I, I was listening to so many podcasts and I thought – maybe I would be able to to make one as a sort of audio documentary and it would be easier for, for me to achieve without getting a whole film crew together, which uh, turned out to be true. Um, and I guess it was the real – the journey from there was really interesting because it, it became much more of a – I want to say more of a social justice motivation as it went on because I was first looking at it as a documentary and then – the the more it went on, the more I ended up speaking to people who had been in cults. Even from that first episode, um, I managed to speak to someone, Ben Shenton, who'd been in the family. And the more that I spoke to people who'd had direct experience, the more it became really obvious that there are so many of these groups out there, you have no idea how many of them there are. And they're really they're traumatizing a lot of people and there's not a lot that's stopping them from happening. And I think that really the main thing that we can do is share, share these stories and educate people about the red flags to look out for, to kind of raise awareness and, and try and stop people from getting involved. It's a really great um, and cogent uh, description. And I think, you know, one thing you bring to it, uh, to the craft, is a great sort of understanding of the documentary style. So when I listen to your uh, podcast, I'm often thinking that as a documentary lover, what would this look like in film? And I just listen and it's sort of enough the, the way you've used audio. When you were making films um, before, was it sort of something that you intentionally sort of brought to the craft of making sound? I think that there's uh – a fair amount of crossover in terms of the storytelling side of things and then just some of the, the technical side of things as well that um, perhaps helped me in making the podcast. But it is, it's you know, it is quite a different thing. And it's, yeah, it's funny you should say because I have also been looking at whether, uh, I, I have been looking at making a documentary as well and that's a very long-term project and I'm not sure if and when it'll get there, but it's it's something that's also on the agenda because with a few of these groups, there's so much more to tell. Um, and I guess the show itself has become very, like, you know, from listening, each episode is very self-contained and it's about a different cult and it has the sort of the same format going into the history and all of that sort of stuff. But then there are so many other discussions around the subject of cults and just cultic behaviour that is evident throughout other aspects of society that I'm, I'm really interested in looking at as well. So do you think you could pivot to go a bit broader and societal rather than kind of individual and group focus? Because what, what I do notice is that you get very far down these rabbit holes, which are fascinating to obsessive and interested people like me. But, um, you know, you're dealing with so many primary sources, secondary sources. You've got that real thorough approach, which I think is beautiful to hear in a podcast. But then, as you say, you know, if you looked at it at the macro level, you know, um, are we in a period that you will see, you know, a greater prevalence of sort of cultic behaviour or cultic associations? Um, you know, what, what are some of the the um, push and pull factors of economy, social, political, 
Um, so that's something you're keen to explore too. A hundred percent. And I think right now the thing that is becoming really clear to a lot of people around the world is um, this conspiratorial thinking that's happening in so many places, obviously, particularly in America. But the, I mean, I'm seeing it myself happen with family members and there's like this, um, there's something about the way that our communities are set up at the moment and potentially to do with education. It's so hard to know, like, is there a critical thinking skills that aren't being taught properly in schools or, or what it, what is it? But so many people I know are getting into these discussions with friends and family right now where they're trying to explain why conspiracy thinking is, you know, like trying to counter this thinking with, with rationality and logic and science and, and well-researched science. And it's impossible. It's like people who, who are going down those ways of thinking, those rabbit holes, they are not receptive to, to logic and science and rationality anymore. And this is like so dangerous, like evidently becoming so dangerous across the world right now. It's a great point. I think you see it really often uh, with COVID. I, I read a stat, someone sent me a stat today, like something like um, 20% of British people believe that uh, the Jews are responsible for the, the COVID outbreak. Uh, and you hear some things like this and uh, people buy into them. But then you've got also this really interesting crossover, like where does um, fringe science meet conspiracy theory, like anti-vax stuff, the Pete Evans stuff that's in the media, um, and then, you know, your natural kind of movements. And I think some of the cults that you've covered that are really interesting kind of dabble in that um, almost uh, multi-level marketing kind of, uh, you know, crossover to cults, which is another really interesting space. A hundred percent. And I think the thing that I often end up um, talking to people outside of the podcast about is how I I don't see cults as actually having anything to do with religion. So many cults, they come from a religious belief system, but the, the ways that they operate, they're much more about a human kind of psychology and interaction than they are about religion at all. So to me, you know, so many of these groups, like there's one I looked at that came out of a martial arts school and so many come out of kind of new age stuff or more of the MLM side of things. It's much more to do with, like, I think they regularly come out of religion because that's an easy shorthand for someone who is of that um, narcissistic sociopathic tendency who wants to have control over other people. If you can claim a line to God, well, that's a very easy way of, of getting control over others. So, so to me, I think that's why they often come from religion, but to me, they're, they're not really related. And it's not a question of religious freedom. It's about wh where do these groups start to impinge on people's uh, human rights in the way that they operate. It's a great point. And I think um, one of the interesting things is that if you look historically at where are these cults coming from and, you know, where are they starting, often it is an offshoot of a religion or a sect. But then when you look at some of the more modern um, movements, I call them movements, uh, inverted commas, air quotes, um, they're a bit more about kind of a sideline to some kind of pyramid scheme or an oil scheme, uh, like you know, natural oils or whatnot. And it's almost like the economic opportunity um, is a precursor to the cult activity itself or the entry into the cult. So you've got kind of different levers almost one is that sort of religion and sense of belonging but the modern ones sort of seem to be this kind of socio-economic um need for belonging and kind of uh representation and agency it's interesting so true and a lot of people i don't know they, they kind of have an idea of cults and they'll say something to me like oh you know do they always end up in weird sex stuff and it's like to me 
the most common thing is financial abuse that comes out of cults. And not all of them have that financial abuse element. It, it just really depends on what the the motivations of the person at the top are, what they want to gain from it as to what which ways they take advantage of people. But to the people getting involved, it's absolutely, it's like there's something lacking in society if they can't find that sense of community elsewhere, that that coming across this group that is so welcoming and loving and wonderful from from the outset is, is so appealing. And what what have we done wrong in society that they're not finding those things in communities that we have in today's world? It's very well said. I, mean, I was thinking a little bit about people's need for belonging. And I think during sort of COVID, that feeling of self-isolation, being apart, um, not having, you know, maybe really strong um, purpose behind you. And in a way, maybe religion leaving the scene or not being a primary driver for young people has opened um, a big chasm for sort of cults to kind of take up that space where, you know, traditionally would be going to the church or the community centre. Now it's sort of like, what can I find online that will pull me in and allow me to be part of something? bigger yeah and and i guess another question that comes up quite a lot is people ask uh what what is it the people who join cults have in common with each other because i would never join one and uh, you know i would always say you can't say that you have no idea because i've spoken to so many of these people now none of them joined a cult many were born in which means they never had a choice but those who joined they weren't joining a cult they were joining something really appealing a really nice community and the more i look at the more I can see, you know, the types of ones where, oh, yeah, that looked like a really good social justice movement. I can see how I would have gotten involved with something like that. And the one thing that people do seem to have in common who join is usually they're at a real sort of turning point in their lives. And that's why university student is a a really common age to join because you're kind of coming out of the parental home. You're you're figuring out what is it that you want to do with your life? What is your life's purpose? So you're really asking those big questions and you just come across the the wrong group at the wrong time that seems to give you that purpose. Or maybe you're coming out of uh, a divorce or some sort of tragedy in your life that's causing you to reassess everything. And the other thing is that most of these people, they're really looking to do something good. They're looking to improve themselves or do something to improve the world. And they have usually – they have a really um, positive kind of motivation in in what they're trying to achieve, and that's the thing that gets them really stuck in these groups as well. Just going back to why you decided to start this, I mean, we're talking a bit about social justice motivations, but in the beginning when you started this um, podcast, I'm sure maybe you never thought it would become this big, but it's incredible and it's a very meaningful show now. Um, Why did you decide to look at cults? Was there sort of that motivation to unearth things that you know about now or was it sort of more that it was just an area of interest for you at the time? Yeah, really totally just an area of interest. I was – yeah, it's it's a weird question because I feel like I don't I don't have a great answer for why I had that interest. I was I was listening to lots of podcasts myself at the time, and then I looked to see if there was one that I could listen to about cults because I was really interested in learning more. And at that time, I mean now there's heaps of them, but at that time I couldn't find one. And that's when I thought, you know, I, like I, I always have a, a project on the go in my spare time, and I didn't have one at the time. And I thought, well, maybe this is something that I could do. And um, yeah, it's just it's taken on a whole life of its own since then. 
I think that's one of the best reasons to do something is just sort of it doesn't have to be necessarily a, a personal thing, but you might have seen a gap. It's something you're um, inherently interested in and then you just launch into it. And what I have noticed is that you do go very deep um, with your subjects and your, your participants in your storytelling and you do build really strong relationships with them that um, are very um, trusting relationships. How, how is that? Sort of, how do you do that? Maybe is the question that I'm going for. Is that sort of a journalistic um, toolkit? And you know, in doing so, um, each episode must bring you a lot of you know new connections that that you kind of may remain as part of your life or keep following your story. I'm keen to sort of learn a bit more how that plays out for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've made I've made good friends out of interviewing people for the show, um, and I think that that's because. I have a real genuine sympathy for what they've been through. Um, And I can't say empathy because I've never been through it myself. I just, like, the more I learned about how these groups operate and the experiences of ex-members, the more I came to admire people who managed to get themselves out of those situations because I think it takes – an awful lot to realize that something that you had believed with all of your heart and that was your entire worldview was wrong. I think that that, that's an amazing thing for, for anyone to do. And I think a lot of these people, they used to either, if they have had any media coverage, they've been interviewed by someone who is not always, but sometimes looking for a real sensationalist angle but even if they're not, and there are great journalists who cover this stuff all the time for sure, but they they might be writing a newspaper article which only can give them a couple of quotes from, from someone who's given them an interview. Whereas for the show, I do go really in depth. There's no time limit on, on how long we can talk. And I, I obviously I do edited down excerpts, but um, I'll make sure that they're comfortable with the, the version that the, the story takes. And, you know, I, I, really regularly I'll give them a read through before it goes out so that they can let me know if there's anything that's been kind of misrepresented as well. But I think also they're really often used to speaking to people who ask similar questions about having been in a cult that that show kind of a few basic misunderstandings about what that experience is like and what that has meant for them. And I'd like to think that now the number of groups I've looked into and the understandings I have about how they operate, I guess I would hope that I'm asking the right kinds of questions to show that understanding of what they've been through. I think you have the sensitivity also is a big part of it and the the broader understanding, the sensitivity. You're somebody who has built a track record in that space of going quite deep and giving you a very honest um, and consenting portrayal of these people. It's not a cut and run job like a lot of, you know, maybe traditional journalists might have tried to cover the same thing. Um, just going back to sort of purpose now, because obviously it's become a lot more than what, maybe what you set out to, to do in a way. Um, I wrote an article uh, a little while ago about sort of questioning, can podcasts have impact or a social impact? And I think unequivocally, this is the type of podcast that you can say does have a really strong social impact because from my perspective, you know, you are helping people to share really um, important stories to them and who they are and who they've become. You're spreading awareness of the the, uh, difficulty of these movements and how people get trapped in these cycles. Um, how do you reflect on that and uh, sort of are these some of the things that you're thinking about or are there things I'm missing in terms of a, a social impact overlay? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say if it hadn't come out to have more meaning and purpose, I probably would have lost motivation a long time ago. The This other side of the whole project has just has given me so much motivation to keep doing the work. And it's really, I mean, it's the emails I get, you know, every every couple of weeks or so, I'll get an email from someone who said that this listening to this show has allowed them to recognize that they are not alone in their experiences or, you know, some people have told me it's allowed them to share with someone they love exactly what they've been through or, um, I don't know, it's allowed them to start to heal from trauma. And just these these one-off emails I get from people, that is just the most, I mean, I'm like, I'm honoured that the work is having that kind of effect and it's just it's very humbling to to hear that that sort of thing this to me sort of sounds a lot like it's um deeply healing work for a lot of people who participate in your shows and listen um do you think are there like a large number of people who listen to your show who have previously been in cults who you haven't talked to and then they they are the ones who are writing in is is that sort of what's happening I think so. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who've been in cults who who do listen, and I think I don't hear from many of them as well. Um, but I do hear from from some. And I'm just curious about you know the connection because I wonder what the feedback loop is like. You know, it's sort of like you're putting out um, the beams from a lighthouse um, that's welcoming people who have sort of been part of that experience to connect with your show. And I wonder whether that's what happens. They hear about this podcast that's dealing with some themes that might be common to them, and then they'll um, listen, and then they'll be sort of in your orbit. That's how I imagine it as an outsider. Is that kind of what happens? Yeah, well, there's a couple. I mean, I have definitely, I've responded to people who have gotten in touch and asked about, um, you know, where they can get more help or uh, like there are particular counsellors who I've heard about through um, things like the the podcast has an online, uh, like a Facebook discussion group and people share details of maybe who they're talking to on the therapy side of things or, um, you know, m- many people write in to ask me about a particular support group for one of the groups that I that I covered, and I've been able to to share that with them. So, I yeah, I remember the thing I was going to say was also that I do think a lot of people who have been in cults they they aren't actually engaging as well because they're not they're not necessarily seeking therapy for what they've been through because there's often a lot of shame around it or they just don't want to engage with with what has happened to them and. I think it's so important for them to be able to recognise that they were a victim in that situation and to work through the trauma that's associated with that. And I think there are many people who won't listen to the show because it will be too triggering for them. But for even if one person had a listen and was able to start to engage with a, a better way to uh, recovery, then you know that that's incredible. That's all all worth it. So it's quite um, interesting, actually, because it's taking on a lot of personal responsibility and I guess moral responsibility in a way that you're creating a powerful show that you know could, um, you know, trigger people or bring them to a place of, um, you know, reckoning with with past and whatnot. And then you're also providing a space for them to, you know, positively deal with that in a supportive environment. Do you ever think about it? I I guess maybe you think about it all the time, but does it ever kind of worry you that you've kind of got this group you've set it up people are talking you know you, you can't be responsible for their care or look after them per se 
Um, or are you sort of just comfortable to know that they're connecting with people who have had a common experience potentially? Yeah, I mean, I think often it's actually them being able to connect with each other that is really giving them the most help. And so I think I can be quite clear on what I'm able to provide. And that is really, it's a platform for people to share their stories. And that seems to have a lot of value to people. But yeah, I do think it's quite important to recognize what what your boundaries are, because obviously I'm not, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a therapist and I can't really help on that side of things, but I can share um, access to resources that I found out about through through doing the work and just through being in touch with organisations like Cult Information and Family Support and and places like that. And I think that's something you do particularly well is that you make it very clear what the boundaries are and what you're going to be responsible for in that sort of storytelling space and what people are responsible for themselves. It's it's a bit different to what I see a lot of on YouTube now. There's there sort of seems to be this whole movement has cropped up of like celebrity former cult influencers who are who are there to sort of tell their story, but also to garner huge YouTube followings, and they don't sort of seem to share that same. Um, regard for responsibility in what they're sharing yeah that's a that's a tricky one and i think that there's um yeah there's definitely a place in the world for for people who want to use their platform to help those other people and what they've been through but i've definitely read some conflicting reports about some of those very characters you speak about and whether (laughs) the ways that they are seeking recognition in in certain respects might have their own kind of cultic overtones so i think yeah you've got to keep in mind what your what your purpose is in the work that you're doing well it's it's a bit meta isn't it because you could sort of have a cult of personality from a former cult survivor um who is then and, and also the morality around it of choice you know is it wrong for somebody who's been in a cult to sort of monetize their youtube channel and profit from that experience maybe that's an earned thing so if you can sort of collect these forty thousand, a hundred thousand um followers and subscribers you know maybe that's your turf now because you've endured a lot of difficulty maybe it's it's like a known thing that um that's not the right way to use that personal experience it's a it's really interesting um and i, I think fraught space yeah i mean i think i would never begrudge anyone um a platform for I don't know, having been through any kind of trauma, because if they feel that they can harness that, then that could give them that sense of purpose that really helps them overcome it. But I think just in general, it's worth being aware of like, I don't know, what like the the cult of personality as a concept and, and what the issues are around that. Like you see, I guess, a lot of really hardcore fans kind of attacking other people online because they've said a bad thing about the person they're standing or whatever. And so I think there's a lot of nuance and and gray areas that it's um, really important to engage with. And that's something that I think about with a lot of issues in the world. Well said. The world is definitely gray and not just black and white. An important point. Um, With your work, I mean, we've seen a lot of documentary makers and storytellers get caught in um, webs of intimidation, bullying and um, deceptive practices to get them off the trail or the scent, so to speak. Have you encountered much difficulty in your own podcast making time of uh, certain cults being, you know, sending people after you or email or contact that's somewhat undesirable? Um, I've had a little backlash from a couple of things that I've put out into the world, but really, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I have to admit, I just, I stopped reading the reviews. I 100% stopped reading the reviews because I just, I didn't want to engage with it. And I just wanted to focus on, I've got a real purpose in who I'm making the show for and what that audience is. And I don't want to get like sidetracked by any kind of, you know, anxiety and fears. And I do, I do get a bit of anxiety when I get that negative feedback, but it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely figure out ways to not engage with it so that I can stay on track. It would seem to me like pulling yourself away from some of the depth you go into for some of these episodes would be really hard. And so this is a question that I ask everyone, not just podcasters, but how do you kind of break away from um, your, your passion or your work um, to do something that's a little bit more taking you out of that um, deep dive? Um, well, yeah, I, I think from the start I was quite realistic about what uh, was an okay amount of output for me to do. So um, I only do eight episodes a year, so it's one per month for eight months of the year, and then I take four months off. And I think that that's been a good a good way of doing it. And I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into each episode. The amount of research and and you know when there's an interview and all of this stuff, it's it's intense. But it's when I'm doing each episode, it's very hard to tear myself away because I always feel like, oh, there's something I haven't read yet about this group or have I have I verified each of these sources and have I covered everything that is is important to telling this story? And some of them there is just so much information out there that it's you can you can never read it all. So, you know, it's it can be a difficult thing to do, but I guess when I've reached the point where every tab that's open seems to be telling me things that I've already talked about in the script, that's when I pull myself away from it. It's a great natural limit to set. Uh, I think it, it's very interesting, like just hearing you talk about some of the primary sources and, you know, texts that some of these groups put out. And then you have to, it's almost like you have to know about them and also what's in them, but you don't have enough time to go into them in too much detail. So it's, it's really you giving this really informed commentary about a whole textural landscape that is within a, a group that's sort of been their mantra for a long time and I think you do that with great um, great skill that kind of to give a sense of context but just the right amount of depth and that must be a real sort of honed craft for you. Well thanks for saying that's very kind um, I think it's yeah it's a really tricky balance because I guess yeah sometimes the the feedback I get from some of these people um, they're usually you know, really kind and not being rude or anything, but it might be that I got a little portion wrong about a certain um, part of the belief system. And I think it's important to understand it to a certain extent, but it's not really the belief system in huge detail that I'm looking at. It's the the intersections of the behaviours and how, how the group is cultic and what are the ways in which it uh, kind of exercises coercive control and, and what is reflected in each of these groups. It's like the, the larger project, although each episode is standalone, it's looking at the ways in which these behaviours replicate themselves across society in countries with completely different cultural contexts and, and you know, that's incredible that that happens. That says something about human nature for sure. So I will get the odd little bit and piece wrong and I'll always put a correction on the website and on the episode page if that happens, but it's kind of not the – I don't let it get to me too much, although I hate getting anything wrong. <laughs> 
Love the rigor. Love the rigor. Um, I'm curious, you know, you've spoken to some incredible people about really delicate themes, really from a whole range of um, human places, emotions, um, difficulty, behavior, um, resilience. What have you taken away sort of about how you think now? It's maybe from the podcast. Like what have you changed about your thinking and your mindset? Um, And I'm also curious if that's led to any sort of behavioral change for you sort of through making the show. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's a major thing is when uh, something I, I uh, alluded to earlier, which is to do with um, the admiration I have for these people who have recognised that uh, uh, their whole worldview was incorrect and been able to to come out of that, even even with these huge, you know, obstacles in the way, which could be relationships with family and losing all of your friends. It's like, what does it take for someone to do that? And and it really it really makes me think that it's worth knowing that you're not always right and you need to really make sure that you recognise that you could be wrong about something and, you know, constantly check check your beliefs and, you know, don't always read things that back up what you believe already. Um, yeah, I think changing your mind about something or and not just – following a, a dialogue that those who you kind of are influenced by are following is, is really important. And I think the gray areas, everything's not black and white. We really, really need to engage with the nuance and the mess. And that's what people hate to do. Like they want to see the world as black and white. They want to follow a strong leader. It's, I, I don't mean like individuals want that to happen, but it's a human tendency to, to kind of tend towards something that that seems to give clear answers rather than confusion which is very uncomfortable and yeah it would be really great if we could uh, reimagine what are the values that we should be looking for in leadership because this kind of strongman leader who has all the answers rather than someone who's collaborative and listening to other people's opinions and coming to the right solution and consensus it's just it's leading us all astray in so many ways I feel like there was a second part to your question that I've glossed over. Yeah, sorry. It's my fault for asking numerous two to three part <laughs> esoteric <laughs> questions. Call it a lack of journalistic training. But um, just whether any of those changes in ideas or thinking or mindset have led to behavioral change, like are you doing anything differently now than what you were um, through your experience of making the podcast? Oh, nothing's really springing to mind, but I'm absolutely sure that the answer would be yes. Um, and it might just be the way that I'm talking about the groups and my, my, my understanding of, of how they operate and definitely the way that I interview people and the questions that I ask them, that would, have, that would definitely have been influenced. What would you love to do next and what's on the horizon for the show? Because obviously season three at the moment. Season three just wrapped up. So uh, episode two-parter on the children of God, many, many primary materials for that one. That just came out in <laughs> April. Um and I'm on my, my between season break. So I'm already planning season four. I've had a number of people write to me with their experiences. I've got two books to read by ex-members and other journalists covering certain groups. And I mean, there's just, I want to say like, I can't wait to to get into it because they're so interesting. But at the same time, you know, I'm talking about people's trauma in many cases. And so I feel like that's the the wrong language to use, but I'm I'm really 
pleased to be able to offer the the platform to these people. So I think season it's, four is going to be good. <laughs> it's tremendous work you're doing. So you're going to be doing much the same. It's, it's a superb formula. It'd be remiss of me not to comment before we wrap up and sort of ask you to tell us a bit more about yourself and the show. The music, uh, it's just incredible. Uh, I, I think about that haunting music all the time, uh, even when I'm not listening to the podcast. So tell me a bit about that. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, all credit for that goes to my composer, who is uh, my partner, Joe Gould. He's, I mean, I, I'm just very lucky to have a musician just downstairs in the house. It's like he he can just kind of play any instrument. He'll just pick up an instrument and he can play it. And he, he's like, you know, he's taught me to play the ukulele. I am consider myself not musical in any way. And he's just incredible and so yeah when he kind of came up with just that um that intro music and the outro music i it just adds a whole other level to the whole thing it's like and he listens to each episode or reads the script and i mean most people would probably not notice but like each time he comes up with the music for an episode he's kind of picked out something from the subject where it might be like the country that it's from or you know, with David Koresh, he he kind of he had his own guitar music that he played. So Joe will have like listened to that, and you know, maybe it's some evangelical stuff or whatever. And that influence is in his music and in the, those transitions. It's like this just subtle aspect to it that I think it it adds a whole other level that people probably are completely unaware of, but subconsciously would be appreciating. Oh, it's it's conscious for me for sure. I, I think you know your podcast. There's very few Australian podcasts beyond the ABC and whatnot that I are on my subscribe list. But listening to your podcast, I will say without doubt, it's the best produced, uh, best journalism, highest quality, and like it's it's interesting because it's almost diametrically opposite to how I make my podcast, which is sort of more conversational, minimal prep. I can pump out one a week, um, and it's it sort of just works for me. But the way you've done it with such craftsmanship um, in the music and the the journalism and the format can't wait for season four so uh, maybe i'll leave my heaped uncomfortable praise there <laughs> but I, That's I entirely too generous of you but i really appreciate it no it's, it's it's a wonderful experience every time listening to the show and the fact that you think about the show after you've listened to it so much is um yeah it's very very excellent so um where can people um get in touch with you and learn more about your work and the podcast well the yeah the website's the best place it's just ltaspod at Oh, that's my email at gmail.com. But the website is also ltaspod.com. And there's, um, yeah, there's contact forms there. There's links to all the social media and, and everything like that. And so, yeah, people can, um, if they have had an experience that they want to share, they can also get in touch about that. Well, thank you so much for um, spending some time with me. Apologies, I was late earlier. Um, conscious you've got to get off. Do you have a minute to debrief quickly once we stop? Of course. Yep. Awesome. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.